All right, so we're in Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to be finishing up the chapter, verses 10 through 20 this morning. You know, often history is taught from a bias, and what I mean by that is, you know, it's kind of t- it can be taught with tunnel vision. I'm not saying that's always taught this way. I'm saying it can be taught this way. And, you know, today, of course, we, dev- we deal with revisionist history. So we have a lot of people today who are trying to rewrite history and tell you and change it, right? They want to take away things and add things and mess history up because there's a deliberate attempt to, to rewrite it to fit a specific narrative. And uh, anyway, historical teachings can often just include the facts that paint the picture that someone wants you to see. You get this. I mean, I'm not saying it happens all the time, but it does happen. So if they want to see you, let you see a great highlight reel about whoever they're talking about, whoever they're writing about, they're going to paint that picture for you, right? They're going to give you all the high points of that person's life, and they're never going to show you the low points of that person's life, right? I just, I, I, uh, I mean, just watch a documentary on your favorite celebrity from yesteryear or whatever. You know, most of the documentaries are meant to paint a very good picture about the celebrity. Very few documentaries go into all the things that the person may have gone through. I watched a documentary on Bob Hope, and I love Bob Hope. I was raised on Bob Hope and Bing Crosby and those movies from my grandfather. And I even saw Bob Hope at the Puyallup Fair one year. And some of you might be like, well, you all know who Bob Hope is, right? Okay, I'm not, my kids here might be going, who's Bob Hope? But you guys all know who Bob Hope is. Anyway, I saw this documentary, and as you would expect, the documentary obviously just shows a lot of the highlights of his life, right? You see all his charity work, you see all his philanthropy, you see all his comedy shows that he did with the USO, and, you t- and it talks about, of course, his 69-year marriage to his wife, Dolores. And However, the documentary also touched on the fact that Bob Hope was anything but faithful to his wife, anything but faithful, right? So the only reason they stayed married for 69 years is because of the faith of his wife, right? She refused to leave him. But you don't know those things unless someone actually brings that stuff out. Generally, if you're going to watch a documentary on someone like Bob Hope, you're only going to see all the highlights. You're not going to see all the, you know, beneath the surface. No one wants to see the warts, right? No one wants to look at the bald spots. I always shoot from the right camera angle, so you know, we don't want to see the bald spots, right? That being said, the Bible, God's Word, it doesn't follow that rule, right? It, it, it shows us the warts and all, right? the bad with the good. And uh, I'm telling you right now, if the, if the Bible were just a book written by man, it would be a lot smaller <laughs> because they would have taken out so much stuff that they didn't want you to see that doesn't paint a really good light you know, for our you know, ungodly men, for example, such as Abraham. That's what we're going to get into today in a small way. Right? That's what we're going to see today. Because what the Bible wants to show us is how great God is and how much in our failings we need Him. Right? And so we're going to see that today in Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20. And I hope everyone's found this online, but if you haven't, I'm sorry. All right. Verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. 
And when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to the Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this word, and I thank you, Lord, for the lesson that can be learned from it, and this continued lesson that we're learning as we study through Genesis. But now that we've gotten into the life of Abraham, uh, this lesson of faith and stepping out in faith and the ups and downs of walking in faith. And I pray, Lord, that we just apply this to our lives, that you just speak it to our hearts and that your spirit speak it to us this morning. Thank you for your words. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a quote that says that faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. I don't know if you've ever heard that quote before. But your faith has been tested. We talked about this last week. Your faith's been tested, and your faith will be tested. But remember, testing comes from God. Temptation comes from Satan. Testing comes from God. So when you're tested, remember this. God tests you to build your faith. The testing that you go through is to refine you. It's to build your faith. Satan tempts you to destroy your faith. God tests you to build your faith, to refine you, to grow you in your faith. Here's the thing. God knows the faith you have. You don't necessarily. You don't necessarily know the faith you have. But God does. God knows the faith you have. And the only way that we advance or grow in our faith is to be tested. It's to be tested. And testing often follows triumphs. And what I mean by that is testing often comes after the mountaintop experiences. Right? For Abraham... Stepping into the new land, as we saw last week, as he was going into Canaan, that was a triumph, right? There had been delays. He was supposed to go. He got that call way back when he was still in the Ur of Chaldeans. And, uh, you know, he was supposed to leave his family and stuff behind. But, of course, he comes with his father, and they get as far as Haran. And then he stops there, and he waits there until his father passes away. And now the Lord, you know, the Lord is like, hey, the calling still stands. Abraham, come on, let's go into the land of Canaan. And Abraham gets into the land of Canaan. And there's even evidence to suggest that the route that Abraham took when he went into the land of Canaan wasn't the shortest route, right? I mean, the, the trade routes were well established. He probably knew the roads to go. But if you talk to someone who is from the area, right, uh, and I heard, learned this from James Cadiz, and he, when he was talking about Abraham's route into Egypt, his parents are Egyptian. And so he kind of knows this area in the Middle East, and he was saying Abraham took the long route. He didn't even take the short route. He could have made that, that travel, his travel time much shorter if he had wanted to. But that just comes from Abraham and his hesitancy to step out in faith. He's growing in his faith. He's, he's okay, I'm going to follow the Lord. Right? Remember, he was called out of a land of worshiping idols. You know, his family probably worshipped idols. He probably worshipped idols. The one true God calls him, and he steps out in faith. But he's stepping out in faith tentatively. Okay, let's see what happens, right? And as he steps out, he puts altars up. He calls on the Lord. The Lord reminds him that he's there. The Lord reminds him of his promises. That encourages Abraham. He continues on, right? So it's a growth period for him. It's a growth period. 
And that's a shiny mountaintop experience for Abraham. Right? I called on the Lord and the Lord responded. That's a shiny mountaintop experience. Those are, those are great moments. But from there is often when you have to head back down the other side of the mountain into the valley. Right? The Christian's life is full of hills and valleys. And you can probably testify to that truth yourself. Right? The ups and downs of your spiritual walk. We can go from the glory of heaven to the depths of hell in the, in the blink of an eye some days. And, and life's most no roller coaster. So it's nice to have a shiny mountaintop experience, but what happens when we have to descend back down the mountain? Right? What happens when we have to come back down to the reality of the world that we live in? Right? When our spiritual high is met with sick kids in a new work week. Right? Scripture shows us the reality of coming down the mountains. It doesn't hide it from us. This is kind of what we're seeing here. And in a smaller way, this is kind of what we're seeing here with Abraham. It's the reality of coming back down from a really mountaintop high experience with the Lord. Right? It doesn't hide that from us. And so this is an example for us to live by. It's an example to prepare us for the test that we're going to go through. Because if you think, well, the Lord's never really tested me, that's one, probably not true. And two, if he hasn't, you better be prepared because he's going to. The Lord tests you to, to grow your faith. So this is good to prepare us. And often we see the Lord test us in a couple different areas. There's a lot of areas that the Lord can test us in. Um, but there's a couple areas that we constantly see. And one is test us in our circumstances. Right? Abraham's circumstances are going to change here. Going from the land of Canaan down into Egypt because of a famine. And then he also tests us in the people that we meet. And then that's going to also happen to Abraham here because he's going to meet the Pharaoh. And that's a test. Because obviously the Pharaoh's not a man of God. He's not following the Lord. Right? So, Abraham's circumstances have changed. So he took that step of faith. He stepped into the land of Canaan. He was now a stranger in a strange land. God kept confirming his steps. God kept revealing himself to Abram, reconfirming his promises. It all encouraged him. It strengthened him. He continued on. But now he's turning around and heading down into Egypt. He's leaving the land of Canaan, right? So what changed? Why was he left leaving the land of Canaan? Well, as it tells us in verse 10, now there was a famine in the land, right? So a famine. So he went down into Egypt. First question you have to ask yourself is, did God tell him to go down into Egypt? Do we have, does it say anything here where God says, Abram, there's a famine, please go down to Egypt, Right? We don't see anything like that. We don't see, we have no record of God telling Abram to go down to Egypt. We have no record of Abram even seeking direction from the Lord. Seeking direction, men. Okay, that's something for you to remember. Something for us to remember. Do men ever follow directions? No, we never follow directions. Do we seek directions? Not very good, right? We know where we're going. Quiet. However, he probably should have sought direction from the Lord. Now, Abraham had mouths to feed, not just his own, obviously. He had his wife, and he had Lot, and they had a large company of people to feed and take care of and provide for. So he was probably worried, right? Rightly so. When the famine hit, he was probably worried. So he went down into Egypt. There's food down into Egypt. I'm going to go down into Egypt just so I can feed my family, right? Should he have stayed in the land and trusted the Lord? Probably, right? Maybe. He should have probably stayed there. He didn't, however. So no matter what we think, it doesn't matter. Because he didn't stay there, 
right? This great man of faith, the father of faith, Abraham, in the Hall of Fame, right? That had a moment of weak faith. We all do. Don't, we're not going to pick on Abraham because we probably would have done very much the same thing in the same situation, right? Now, biblically speaking, Egypt uh, is a symbolic picture of bondage. We, of course, know, you know the Israelites' time in Egypt and, and Exodus. And, you know, but Egypt is a symbolic picture of bondage, like the worldly system and its bondage. In contrast, the land of Israel, the promised land, the land of Canaan, which you know, Abraham is stepping into, is a picture of our spiritual inheritance in Christ. That's how we can look at them spiritually. So you go up to Israel, you go down to Egypt. Every time you look at Egypt in the Bible, and they're heading to Egypt, they're always going down to Egypt. When you go to Egypt, spiritually speaking, what you're doing is you're doubting the promises of God. And you're running to the world for help. Running to the safety of the world, as if the world had, you know, any safety to offer. We know this because it tells us. It tells us. When you go through the Bible and you read verses like Numbers 14, for example, verses 2 and 3, the Israelites are saying, they say, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we have died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back down to Egypt? Right? Would it not have been better for us? Also, like in Isaiah, oh, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine. This is, this is definitely Abraham's mindset right here as well. And whenever we do this, this is our mindset. Listen to the Lord. If the Lord was to speak to you in a moment like this, where you decided to take matters into your own hands instead of listening to the Lord, this is probably what he'd tell you, very something similar to this. Ah, stubborn children, right? Who carry out a plan, but not mine, right? Who make an alliance, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, right? Who set out to go down to Egypt, without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. So that's very much Abraham right here. That's not specifically speaking about Abram, but that's, you know, the same situation. What was the primary motivation behind Abram's actions? It was fear. He was afraid, right? There was a famine in the land, right? The Lord had promised to take care of him, however, the Lord had promised to take care of him. So these were not steps of faith. They weren't. Because again, we have no word that Abraham even called on the Lord to ask whether or not this was the direction he should go. Fear. He's stepping out in fear. It's the old fear versus faith conundrum. Right? So by running away from a famine, Abraham was now running into another problem. A person, the Pharaoh. You can't escape problems, by the way. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of people trying to escape problems today, and I don't blame them, quite frankly. I mean, we know all the people that we've, you know, prayed over as they were moving out of the state. Um, so we have a lot of people escaping problems today, but the truth is, is you can't escape problems. You really can't escape problems. They live in every neighborhood, they live in every state, and they live in every country. There's nowhere you can go to escape a problem. There's no place you can go to be safe, worldly speaking. 
So Abraham goes down into Egypt, and he realizes, you know, he's a little over his head and that there's going to be a problem. And so his trusting, basically what happened is his trusting went to scheming. And now he's, he's got a plan, right? He probably honestly thought this was going to work. Okay. I just realized that we could be in trouble. So I got a plan, right? I got a plan. I mean, in our pride, we often get overconfident. We think we can tackle issues on our own instead of depending on the Lord completely. Abraham thought he could take matters into his own hands. He probably thought this was going to work, right? However, it didn't turn out like, like he thought. It did turn out somewhat like he thought, but it didn't turn out exactly like he thought. He says to his wife, listen, you're so beautiful. That's a great way to start a conversation with your wife. You're so beautiful that when we go into Egypt, they're going to look at you and they're going to say, she's his wife, but she's so beautiful. We should just kill him and take her. So let's lie to them and tell them you're my sister. Okay? Then we'll be safe. It was known that the Egyptians would do just that. It was common. Okay? They were known to be cruel. They were known to be immoral. They were known to be sexually promiscuous. They would have, more than likely, killed Abram and taken Sarah. That's true. He wasn't wrong. That's true. Right? She was beautiful. It mentions that a couple times. It says that she was very beautiful. It says that the princes of Egypt, or the princes of the Pharaoh, saw her and praised her to the Pharaoh. Pharaoh, you're not going to believe this woman we just saw. She, she is so beautiful, she needs to be your wife. Right? And her beauty was probably more than just external beauty. It was also inter- internal beauty as well, because when you read First Peter, it talks about Sarah, and it talks about her internal beauty. It says that uh, it says, "Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." And then it goes on and then it says, uh, "For this is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, which is the hidden person of the heart, the, the inner beauty, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord." And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So obviously this is the way Sarah was. She was externally and internally beautiful and it just shone and everyone noticed it. Everyone. She had this internal beauty and this external beauty and just floored people. Right? They're all coming up to Abraham and going, you married that buddy. Right? And he's like, yeah. Right? I know. So the princes of Pharaoh, they praised her to Pharaoh. This is, by the way, the first use of the word praise in the Bible here. And it's a word that's generally used as praise towards God, but right here it's praise towards a godly woman, Sarah. And so that says that Pharaoh did exactly what Abraham thought he was going to do, which is take Sarah, right? Abraham thought he would take Sarah, and he did. So the Pharaoh took Sarah. But instead of killing Abraham because of Sarah, because of her beauty, and because the Pharaoh is just right bowled over by her, he treats Abraham well, right? He basically pays Abram for her. He gives him, uh, you know, 
sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male servants and female servants and female donkeys and camels. He just loads Abraham up with stuff. Here you go. Have all this. Thank you for your sister. This is great. Right? She's a beautiful woman. So Abraham's fear was completely justified. It was. It was completely justified. Because everything that he feared, for the most part, would have happened. They would have killed him, probably, had he said that he was her husband. Abraham, I want you to, to, to not overlook this. Abraham was sort of being selfish because what he was really afraid of was his life. He was afraid of being killed. Because he doesn't say anything about, you know, I don't want to get into it too much, but he doesn't say anything about, I'm worried about what they're going to do or how, you know, if they're going to take you and they're going to murder me. That's really what I'm worried about is that they're going to murder me. I'm kind of worried that they're going to kill me. And so they didn't kill him because of Sarah, because of her beauty, because of the ferret. Just loved her. Right? His fear was justified. However, right, even if our fears and our worries are justified, it doesn't mean that the steps we take because of those fears are correct. It doesn't. I mean, Abraham didn't find himself in Egypt by accident. He didn't take a wrong turn. He went down there by choice. And though his reasons may have, been, have, may have been legitimate, his response was not driven by faith. And now he finds himself in a new mess. All because of fear and pride and doubt, because he was doubting the Lord's promises, because the Lord promised to protect him. And that's compromise, really. You're compromising with the world. A couple of the biggest enemies of faith are pride and fear, right? when we allow our lives to be driven by fear and not by faith. And just to be clear, so we understand when we're talking about fear, there's a good fear and there's a bad fear, okay? Fearing God is good. Right? That's a good fear. Fearing God is good because when we rightfully fear God, through then the wisdom and the discernment of His Spirit, right? through the wisdom and the discernment of His Spirit, then we can, we can exercise caution, Right? And we can watch out for the curves in the road. We can watch out for the dangerous sin that lies ahead. We can watch out for the temptations that may arise. We can do this with the discernment and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. When we rightfully fear God, we have that tool available to us. So, we can, so that's a good fear. A good fear is a cautious fear, a fear that's looking out where, the, where sin may entrap you. And being discerning about, you know, what you get involved with and what you do and how you do it. Good fear is a healthy and a respectful fear that's based on our fearing God. Right? It's, based, it's a fear that's based in truth and love because fearing God is based in truth and love. Now you have bad fear, and bad fear, or having a life driven by fear instead of by faith, Right? What's a fear-driven life? It's a, it's a way of living where uh, our decisions and our actions are predominantly motivated by fear. Not the fear of God, just fear. Right? Fear as in a deceptive and dangerous fear that contradicts the Word of God, that contradicts the promises of God. A fear that has you doubt God or make you think that God doesn't love you or maybe makes you think that God has abandoned you or makes you think that God's not going to provide or make you think that, you know, that God has turned his back on you and walked away. Those type of fears, if that's the type of fear that's, 
that's driving your life. That's a fear that's actually taking you away from God. That's a fear that leads you away from God because that fear is based on lies. So that's a bad fear. But that was the fear that Abraham had at this moment. It it was a fear where lies had come in and crept in and said, well, maybe God's not going to protect you like he said. Maybe God's not going to provide for you like he said. So I need to take matters into my own hands here and I need to go on down into Egypt, provide for and protect my family. Because all Abraham saw at that moment was the famine and possibly being killed by the Egyptians. That's all he saw. He feared for his life. Right? He only saw the obstacles that were in front of him. And because of that, he, re- he reacted fearfully. Right? Possibly doubting God's protection and his provision. Right? And what is that? For, you know, that really is what we call unbelief. That's unbelief. God told him, he said, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. He made that promise to Abraham. God had promised Abraham protection. But yet, he wasn't believing in that promise right now. Or he wouldn't have taken the steps that he took. He would have sought the Lord. So unbelief is not a lack of faith. Unbelief is not a lack of faith. It's not a weak moment of indecision or taking a wrong turn. It's rebellion. And I know that's strong language, and a lot of people don't like to hear it. But unbelief is rebellion against the Lord because you have completely refused to believe in the Lord's promises in his faithfulness. At that moment, you're saying, no, I don't believe the Lord's going to do that. And that's unbelief. That's rebellion, really. And unbelief is where our fear will often drive us. Where it will often lead us. So just really quick, I want to ask, what's what's the motivation? What's your motivation for how you walk? What is motivating your steps? What is motivating your walk, right? Who is motivating your steps? What's driving you when you get up in the morning? When you go out into the day, when you face the world head on, right? what's your motivation? Is it the Word of God? Is it God's promises? Is it God's faithfulness? Is what you're doing today for the glory of God? unto the Lord? Are you driven by fear? Are you worried? Right? Faith moves us in the direction of peace and hope. It moves us towards the Lord. Fear moves us in the direction of doubt and unbelief. And it's away from the Lord. Listen, these last couple of years have been full of fear. Have they not? Right? And even if you thought you'd sealed your house up tight, okay, what I mean by that is is that you were not going to let fear into your house. Right? I mean, I would say that we really tried to seal up our house tight and not to let a lot of that fear mongering that was going on. I mean, we don't watch the news, so we didn't have that, but we weren't going to let a lot of that fear mongering seep inside the house. Doesn't matter. Fear is like, is like, inse- they're like an insect, right? No matter how you seal up your house, if you've ever out- lived out in the woods, you know what I'm talking about. If you- no matter how you seal up your house, that mouse still figures out how to get in, right? I mean, you can, you can seal up every hole and put down traps and get cameras and, you know, and, you know, that mouse is still going to figure out how. He's going to annoy you and he knows right where the cookie jar is. You know what I'm saying? He knows exactly what to get into to ruin your day. 
Well, fear is like that. It just knows how to slither right in to your house, no matter how you seal it up. Right? So fear still gets, its, still gets in. And so these last couple of years have been full of fear. Everything you read, everything you watched, everything, the look on people's faces, they were just full of fear. Fear-mongering, like, was an all-time high. I kept telling you guys, turn off the news, right? Quit going on social media. It just wasn't worth it because of all the fear-mongering and everything. So you, but no matter how hard you try, you may find yourself now afraid of things that you never used to be afraid of. You may find yourself now worrying about things that maybe you never used to worry about. You may find yourself now making rash decisions or, or contemplating rash decisions that you never would have thought about before, which all comes from fear. All comes from unbelief. Here's the thing, rash, reckless, because rash is you know, reckless, right? So rash, reckless decisions made in fear are often decisions made in haste. We tend to make them really quickly. I just, I gotta, I gotta figure out a problem to this. I need to figure out a problem to this. Okay, this is what we're gonna do. Let's do it, okay. And then it was the wrong decision to make because you didn't pray on it, you didn't wait on the Lord, you didn't seek the Lord's direction, you just grabbed your bag and ran out the door and found yourself in trouble, right? Isaiah 28, 16 says, whoever believes will not be in haste. What does that mean? That means you're not gonna be in a hurry to run. You're not gonna be in a hurry to hide. Right? You're not going to be impetuous in your decisions. When you step out in faith, you're not going to be like that. Step out in fear, you might be. If you're driven by fear, you might be. Right? You're not going to find yourself going down to Egypt. Instead, you're going to stay on the path where the Lord has you. Even if you don't know exactly where that path is leading, you're going to stay on that path. You're going to seek the Lord, and you continue to follow the Lord in the direction that he's put you in. Now the thing about this with Abraham is that even though he made a wrong decision, even though he went down into Egypt when he probably shouldn't have, I mean, we, 2020 hindsight, it all worked out. It all worked out. The Lord took something that could have been a really terrible, bad situation and turned it into good, as the Lord does, as only the Lord can do. This was really good, even though Abraham couldn't see it, right? This severe testing of Abraham's faith had led Abraham to a place where he was helpless. He was helpless to change the situation. There was nothing he could do. Which is often where the Lord wants us to be. <laughs> in a situation where we realize we're helpless and there's nothing we can do and all we can do is rely on the Lord. I mean, how did Abraham think he was going to rescue his wife anyway? I mean, have you ever thought about that? They came and they took his wife and they paid him off. What was Abraham going to do now? Did he just write her off? Oh, well, it was a good marriage. Yeah, the Egyptians have her now. She's now the Pharaoh's wife. That's good for her, right? I mean, what, what was he going to, how was he going to rescue her? Was it going to be a Mission Impossible thing? Dun, dun, you know, I mean, is he going to lower in like Tom Cruise and somehow sneak his wife out of the Pharaoh's court? Oh, sneak her out under the cover of darkness? Was he going to hire the A-team? Maybe that's too old of a reference for you. He's going to go search out Obi-Wan, right? Help him get his wife away from the Pharaoh. What was he going to do? There was nothing he could do. 
There was nothing he could do. He couldn't rescue her. We have no idea what Abram was thinking. The Bible's quiet on that. Abraham's thoughts right here, after they took Sarah, they're not there. We don't know what Abraham was thinking. We have no clue what was going through Abraham's mind right now. And I'm thinking that he was probably too ashamed to speak. He was probably too ashamed to say anything. He had nothing that he could do. Maybe, even though it doesn't tell us here, maybe that's when he finally sought the Lord. He had to get to that point where he said, Lord, I need help now. They've taken my wife. Right? He was probably beside himself. And I'm sure after the fact, that was probably a long, quiet ride home. Yeah. He was out of options. But here's the thing. Even though Abraham was out of options, God wasn't out of options. Right? So it tells us in verse 17, the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues. Why? Because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And somehow the Pharaoh learned that she was his wife. We don't know exactly how. Maybe the Lord appeared to him. This woman that you have, she's the wife of Abraham, and you're going to let her go. Maybe. Right? But here's the thing. Abraham's weakness did not nullify God's promises. That's one of the things we need to remember. Because we will make bad decisions like this ourselves. And we will find ourselves in situations where there is nothing we can do. It's out of our hands. We've, we tried on our own power, and we failed mightily. And there's nothing else we can do. And in those moments, all we can do then is rely upon God and give it to the Lord. And guess what? The Lord's not out of options. He's like, well, I don't know. You tried everything. I don't see what else I can help with. It's probably not going to say that. He's going to come and he's going to help. Because even in our worst, God still finds a way to bless us and redeem us. Abraham managed to get out of Egypt with his wife, his life, and all his belongings. Right? There's a quote that says, the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. Abraham was redeemed by the Lord, even though Abraham was foolish to begin with. Our foolishness isn't going to stop the Lord from redeeming us. Thank you, Lord. So, the truth of this that you're going to take with you before we jump into communion. God's in control. God's in control. You are safer in his will, even in a famine. And who knows, there might be a famine coming. Just saying. Right? You are safer in his will, even in a famine, than anywhere out of his will. Right? So don't turn from the will of God. God has a purpose to fulfill in you and through you, and he will do that, and he will do all that is necessary to make you succeed for his glory. It's for the glory of God. God did this and brought Abraham, in a sense, out of Egypt for his glory, not for Abraham's. Right? Psalm 138 tells us, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Right? The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began the good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The Lord's going to fulfill his purpose in your life. He's going to do it. He started it. He'll finish it. You can rest on that. So there's a difference in how we face problems now than how we used to face problems before Christ. As a believer, you face problems now differently, or you should face problems differently compared to how you faced them without Jesus. 
the first thing you should know is that you still face problems. <laughs> There's no promise in the Bible that says once you're in Christ, you will never face a problem again. It actually kind of says the opposite. Right? So you will still face problems. They don't just disappear when we become Christians. Right? We have a new set of problems now. But here's the thing, we don't face them alone. We don't face them alone, we face them with the Lord. Right? He is with us. And if we are looking at these issues through the eyes of God with a heart towards God, then we're facing them with a confidence that we didn't have previously and we'll face them for the glory of God. Our trust in God should be the same in season and out of season, in times of plenty and in times of famine. Right? When God is meeting our needs freely and also during the times that it seems like he isn't. When problems arise in your life today in Christ, don't try to run from them. That won't work. It's not going to help. Because like I said, problems live everywhere. You can't run from them. Face them. Face them head on. Standing in faith and trusting on the word of God, on his promises and on his faithfulness. Right? Don't be afraid. Don't fear. Right? When you step out in fear, you're going to stumble. You will. Trip, stumble, and fall. It happens all the time when we step out in fear. Because fear is an immobilizer. Fear is also mobilizes you in the wrong direction, away from the Lord. If you run from a test, you're just going to run into another. Fear breeds more fear. Don't follow fear. Stand in your faith. Right? It tells us in Proverbs that the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe. So continue just to step out in faith because true and perfect love is what drives out fear. So don't be anxious. Don't fret. Don't worry. Don't panic. Don't let that fear take root in your heart or don't let it run your lives. Don't. Live by faith. As a church, let us be a people of faith. Let us set the example, especially in the times that we live in today. Right? Let us be that light and trust in the Lord. Amen?